The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Boy, oh boy. Let me let me let y'all peek behind the curtain here, viewers and listeners, about what the last few hours have been like for me. The fact that we are on the air right now, that I am talking to you, that you are hearing from me, that we are interacting on a live stream right now is nothing short of miraculous. I am coming to you now on this show on a new computer, my old computer, the one that we used for every other episode of Break the Business up until the one last week just pooped out on me. In fact, right after we recorded last week's show with producer Lauren, the like two hours later, the computer just said, that's it, I'm done. 407 episodes was enough. I can't do this anymore. And it died. And so we had to get a new computer. We got it in here. We installed it. We set it up today. And up until about 8.59.57, we were still downloading drivers and getting hardware installed. And we barely got this one in on under the wire. But we're on the air. You're all seeing me. You're all hearing me. And I couldn't be happier about it. But it also means that with this new computer set up, with this new software and hardware, this whole thing could fall apart at any second. And if that does happen, I will leave you in the very capable hands of our co-host this week, musician, investor, frontman for Gideon King and City Blog. Gideon King is joining us. Hi, Gideon. Howdy. How are you? I'm sorry about your technological problems. I mean, I'm not really sorry, but I'm kind of sorry. It's nice for you to say. I mean, I know you really don't care. <clears throat> no, not really, but, not really. I mean, I'm all for the lip service. That still makes <laughs> right. me feel good. Cool. It's great to see you. I have I have it on good authority, Gideon, that it is your birthday week this week, that your birthday is upcoming. It's imminent, perhaps, is the, the scary word for it. I don't know uh, if, what stage of your life you're in, whether you are happy that birthdays are here. Are you not happy birthdays are here? Let me slip. I'll say this, though. When I think of the two populations, Gideon, that I know have amazing birthday celebrations, I think of musicians. They always have a great time on their birthday. And I think of Wall Street types. They always know how to enjoy their birthday. And since you fit into both of those boxes, I can only imagine that a Gideon King birthday is an event not to be missed. Can you reflect on the birthday? What are you going to be doing this week? I mean, I'm going to get really sullen. I'm going to close the door. I'm going to play guitar alone. And, um, you know, when my wife comes in, I'm going to be like, don't look at me, get out. Um, and, um, you know, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to try not to make any eye contact with anyone. And I'm just going to wallow in the fact that, uh, you know, I'm getting older. Um, and then hopefully the day will pass without any violence or, you know, legal problems. And, um, then I'll, I'll pretend the whole thing never happened. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Fine. Yeah. That was the saddest thing I've ever heard. Come yeah, on. No, no. I, mean, so I cannot I, so imagine. 
that your my, dear wife is going to tolerate any of that. She will so not let you just in the dark room, staring into the middle distance, listening to Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. So, until your birthday's over. <laughs> R.E.M. No, it's not that. It's she. Uh, listen, I think she and my son are taking me on some kind of boat, okay? Um, and it's against my strenuous objection, objection but I have to go. Um, otherwise I'll be offending my family. So yeah, I'm going to go. I don't like birthdays. I don't like the passage of time. It's not that I'm a downer. I'm a happy guy, but on my birthdays and on major holidays, I suffer from, um, what's that? What do they call it? Seasonal affective disorder. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, I have it. Oh no. Well, I'm glad I brought, well then I'm glad you're in such a positive mood right now to give (laughs) us lots of great insight. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm, I, I really am uh, thrilled to see you, and I'm glad that you're helping us ring in the new year here at Break Absolutely, the Business. Yeah. Also joining us this week is a Forbes under 30 under 30 entrepreneur and CEO of the fan social interaction platform Fave. Jaquel Horton's going to be joining us. She's probably the only Forbes under 30 under 30 winner, Gideon, that I know of or that I've heard of, I should say. That has not been like arrested for fraud at some point or <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. completely exposed right. or anything. No, she's brilliant. And Fave is an awesome platform. And this is going to be a terrific interview. Uh, you're going to be blown away by her, Gideon. Just really, really smart, talented, great entrepreneur mind. Like I want to be her when I grow up, even though she is considerably older than uh, considerably younger, younger, I should say, than you or I am. But just a really, really fantastic person. I'm going to be interested once the interview's over to kind of circle back with you, get your insight on some of the things that she says, love to get your perspective as an investor, as a person who is constantly bombarded, I'm sure with opportunities to get in on the ground floor of a lot of music tech platforms. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool guest. I'm psyched to, uh, I'm psyched to listen in and uh, we'll talk about it. Very, very cool. But before we get to that, uh, there was an article that I wanted to talk to you about, Gideon, in LinkedIn's, uh, one of LinkedIn's newsletters. I thought when I saw this, only because I've known what you've told me in the past about influencers and your thoughts of influencers and and your interactions with influencers and how they've been kind of uneven and strange, I thought you'd be just the person to talk to this, talk about with this article. So recently, the Gen Z-oriented LinkedIn newsletter, Keeping the Balance, explored the emerging trend amongst higher education institutions to embrace the creator economy and offer course offerings and even full majors, Gideon, in becoming an influencer. From the article, quote, a wave of courses on the creator economy will debut across campuses of all sizes next year and not only teach students about the business side of the influencer space, but also help them hone the necessary creativity and style for those who wish to be in front of the camera. This effort follows the efforts of schools like USC and UCLA that are already offering courses in influencer marketing. And recently, East Carolina University announced that it's teaming up with YouTube star Mr. Beast to create training and credentialing programs for companies who want to work with content creators. And this past fall, Arkansas Tech recently launched an entire major in digital content creation. So academia is getting into the influencer craze. They want to train the next generation of influencers and knowing how Gideon King thinks about influencers. I can't wait to hear what he thinks about this. I mean, listen, I've already been negative about my birthday, so I have to contain the ti- the tidal wave of negativity that's that's overcoming me with you even mentioning that academia is embracing the influencer world. 
if I've ever seen a top in my entire life, if I've ever seen an indication that something's getting overcrowded, this, this would be it. First of all, um, actually, even though the influencer economy as difficult it is as it is to actually define what that is, is growing. And there are more influencers commanding advertising dollars. I'm not denying the, the, the gravitas of that trend. But I actually think it's scary, dangerous, too late, irrelevant, and actually like not cool for universities to be embracing this. And, and, and here's why. A, in that article, it mentioned that one professor or one school was going to have a course on teaching the psychology of being an influencer and engagement and so on and so forth. I can tell you right now that the really, really that, that the people that are, that are influencers on a huge scale, like Mr. Beast, who you mentioned, who grew up in an evangelical background, who has Crohn's disease, who has 220 million followers, who has said wildly offensive things online and, and actually taken positions that are diametrically opposite to those offensive things that he's a, he's like a mixture. He's like a cocktail of so many psychological crosswinds that you could never possibly teach anybody that complex web of psychologies or, 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 or countervailing psychologies to be compelling the way he is. And he is compelling. This is a guy who dropped out of school to study virality. This is a guy who comes, who's been influenced by so many competing concepts that even attempting to recreate the personalities that, that impact on the world the way he is, is like saying, I'm going to teach you how to be the next Miles Davis. I'm going to teach you how to be the next, um, David Bowie. And so, a, I think that like having colleges or universities try to teach kids to be influencers is actually a, is a fool's errand. But actually, I think it's even worse in some ways. I think that like while social media is obviously a monster reality, I think if academia is embracing things that are going to send kids into the claws of social media with all its attendant problems of depression and self-esteem issues, it's like... That's a bad idea too. And then of course there is the, those who can't do teach. No offense, of course, to all the wonderful teachers out there in the world, many of which, well, that's not really true, a few of which influenced me in whatever success that I've had. But the truth is that the great musicians I know dropped out of Berkeley School of Music after the first, first year or two. The best business school, the best business men and women that I know look back at business school and frankly business courses is kind of like some kind of overly clinical joke um so somehow trying to to contain this creative beast categorize it and reshuffle it into act into an academic setting i just think it's like the top and i know it's the top because actually influencers in many ways are having less influence because influencers who release songs are getting less streams than they got before. Um, the advertising dollar is being spread among so many influencers that it's really hard to measure their efficacy. And so some of that, those dollars are actually being pulled back. And so for every reason I can think of, this is a top. It's a sign that if you have a kid or you are a kid, man, 
if you're going to end up as an influencer, that's going to happen to you by virtue of a series of, of creative impulses and, 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 and serendipitous events. It certainly ain't going to be because professor Jones is teaching you how to do it. Are there legitimate marketing concepts and engagement concepts that can be transmitted to people? Sure. Of course, I'm not denying every single element of this effort. You can't, if, you know, no one can unilaterally dismiss something that's taking place in an organized way, but I'm coming pretty damn close to feeling that it should be unilaterally dismissed. I'm just not into it, man. I mean, you know, sorry, sorry if I've offended every, every, every other listener, at least pardon my ignorance on something, Gideon, when you refer to something as a top, what does that mean? Oh, so, um, so in the early 2000s, when internet stocks were trading at $3,000 a share, but they were making no freaking money, uh, academics were forming departments around how to, how to build the next internet billionaire. Um, in the nifty 50s, in the 50s, uh, people were saying, how do you find the next best drug? And academics were doing that. By the time academics are pulling their car into a lane, that lane's overcrowded. And so... Um, I know one thing, the influencer world is overcrowded and I'm seeing it. I I'm talking to people building influencing businesses right now, coming to me, asking me for help, money or advice. I tell them I don't have any advice cause I'm not an influencer and, and it's a really hard thing to, 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 to sort of, to sort of come to professionally. So my advice to people is if you want to be an influencer, don't take freaking influencer courses, become literate, become smart, read books, listen to music, become a quirky, well-rounded, psychologically interesting, literate person. But for God's sakes, take some real courses, not the psychology of influencers. I mean, or, or, or either that or just jump off the top of the building. One of the two. Producer Lauren, can you put that comment back up again that we saw? That uh -oh. was... <laughs> I mean, Gideon, I don't even know if Gideon saw this in the middle of his speech. <laughs> Daniel Naruto writes, oddly, I'm mostly agreeing with Gideon today. Uh, I, like I think Daniel. I can speak for Gideon when I say you probably could have done without the oddly there. <laughs> like, That's why right. could you just say you agree with Gideon? Like, oh, Odd I'm as shocked as you are. I agree with Gideon today. Daniel, I take you, I take I take your friendship any way I can get it. I mostly disagree with Gideon, but I will That's say I agree with you on one point, Gideon, is I, as a, as a business school graduate, as a business school professor, I am skeptical of business school's ability to effectively teach how to be an influencer, right? Something about a 65 year old tenured marketing professor trying to teach a 21 year old college student how to use TikTok. That doesn't really make sense to me, but that's the same complaint I always had about like music business programs at colleges where oftentimes the professors know less about today's music industry than the students that they're teaching. But let's say we can get past this hump, right? Let's say that a business school or some higher education school could create a really good curriculum in this and, mm -hmm. and bring in the right people for it, right? You bring in your mists or beasts, like let's say the University of Miami, for example, where I teach and where I went to school. Alex Earl, the super famous TikTok star, was a graduate of the UM Business School. If they brought her in to help develop this program and like actually create something that would be valuable and actually have the right content in it, I love the idea of an a influencer-oriented degree program because I mean, for just for simple reason of how practical it would be. I did a traditional business school curriculum. As you noted, Gideon, much of what you learn in a traditional business school 
not particularly practical, just a lot of textbook stuff. The marketing class I took, it was the four P's of marketing and how to do market segmentation <laughs> yeah, right. and a bunch of stuff right. that I never used again. Now, in my current life, I would have really benefited if my college taught me how to do digital marketing, how to do social media, how to edit video content, how to make digital content, how to podcast, right? All the stuff that I do now, I would have really enjoyed learning those things in college so I wouldn't have had to learn them myself later. And I think there are a lot of kids today, whether they're going to be the next Mr. Beast or maybe they're just their first job is going to be working in the social media department of some company, the skills that you would learn in an influencer degree program, how to edit videos, how to promote yeah. things on social media, how to make TikToks, that's valuable. An employer could find those things more valuable than, say, if you just spent a three-credit course on what learning what the four Ps of marketing are. And, and, and dude, I actually, like, meaning if you're talking about how to edit a film and things of that nature, things of, of that, 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 will, that will augment someone's technical capability, that could also be in the audio, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a variety of different majors and disciplines. And so I'm cool with people actually learning how to do things. Um, but again, and I want to harp on Mr. Beast. He is so complex, if you really look into him, that the idea that someone could ever instruct little Jimmy or Sally on how to be like Mr. Beast is like saying, Hey Ryan, come to my music school and I'm going to teach you how to be like, like John Coltrane, um, and, uh, and John Lennon. Okay. It's literally that far fetched in my view. I don't deny what you're saying at all. Clearly if they're transmitting skills and things of value, but here's the, here's the problem. It's kind of like what Charles Barkley said about the NBA. He said he gets really bummed out when he goes to high school and high school kids are all like, well, I want to play in the NBA. And Charles Barkley's like, well, really almost no one makes the NBA and I'm six, eight and 290 pounds. And, and like, it would be really good if you learn some math and like learn some English, um, because no one really makes. So the, the number of people that can really sustainably make money and sustain themselves being influencers going to be really, really hard. And if you concentrate too much on that major at the and 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 eclipse some of the shit you really need to do and learn in life man what a disservice those universities are visiting on the kids who choose that major well, but don't make it the most extreme example of mr beast right yes a, a influencer degree program is not going to crank out the next mr beast but then again harvard business school is not going to crank out bill gates right like bill gates is is a once in a lifetime business person, yeah. right? Most yeah. of the people who come out of Harvard Business School will have will be lucky to have one percent of the net worth that Bill Gates does. Yeah. yeah. But you know, you could come out of an influencer degree program if you learn a thing or two about how to make great TikTok videos, how to make uh, you know, how to edit content, how to make audio content, how to produce podcasts, how to manage your income, maybe learn the personal finance concepts that an influencer should learn. Those are all useful transferable skills that you you know are still useful for you even if you don't become the next Mr. Fair Beast. Fair enough. And if they're going to and if they're going to teach and and I'm sort of I'm going to respond in a self-serving way. If they're going to teach some people some real things, then I'm all for it. But just the idea of an, it be, you know, like an inf influencer major program. Oh, yuck. 
Yucky. Now, what if we? What if they didn't call like? Because I'm pretty sure the the bachelor's degree program is not going to be called influencing, right? They'll give it some kind of name that makes it sound, you know, less ridiculous. They'll call yeah. it like digital content, or you know, social entre- yeah. you know, social media entrepreneurship, or something like that. That's cool. Listen, I'm gonna just say to to your listeners, there's a saying amongst musicians. And it's a joke. And people say, oh, you went to Berkeley and you can play anyway? Um, meaning, like, it, it, it's like the people that have that essence, that gestalt, that creative, that creative something or other that makes them special, they never drew from an, ac- an academic setting to, to ooze out that special creativeness um they just didn't now obviously if you're a violinist in some orchestra yes there's technical training but you know the ed sheerans of the world the 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 steely dans of the world the dua lipas they're not crediting a program um for for becoming as influential as as they did but uh, man i get your points i'm not unilaterally actually secretly i am unilaterally dismissing it but since we're (laughs) we're, but since we're having a civil debate i'm going to say this you make some great points and I respect everything you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I've heard this in higher education before about how, you know, oh, all the best, uh, the, the most accomplished Juilliard alums are the ones that dropped out halfway through. Absolutely, dude. That's just the yeah. fact. Same the the most business. accomplished biz, uh, music school alums drop out halfway through. The most accomplished business school alums uh, dropped out halfway through or, or like Zuckerberg didn't even finish their bachelor's degree program. If that's how you're going to measure whether or not, you know, like, yeah, if, you know, there are some people like, you know, Mr. Beast doesn't need a degree program to be an amazing influencer, right? He's a, a, a once in a generation talent at what he does. And, you know, yeah, this isn't for him, but it could be for a lot of other people who, if they learn a little bit of training, they might be able to come out of college and be useful in the digital marketing department for a fortune 500 company. Whereas, because I see these people all the time, right? A lot of folks come out of business school. They come Mm -hmm. out of bachelor's degree programs of business school, getting a degree in management or marketing or something, right? Kids where employers like yours, employers like you would never hire them because they have zero practical skills that would make them valuable to a company at day one. Yeah. Right? They know a know lot what? of textbook stuff. They've definitions memorized, but they're useless to employers without additional training. But if you had somebody who had a resume where they, you know, you knew you could hire this person, they could run your TikTok account tomorrow. That's valuable. You'd hire that person on the spot. Yeah. You know what? Someone who can really run my TikTok account. Well, someone who can build a model, analyze a business, write a great horn section for a tune. Um, I've never seen once that they got it from school. They went and they learned it themselves and they figured it out themselves. Um, I remember when I was 23 and I was like super nervous and, and, and trying to, to figure out a way to make a living in New York. And I said to this brilliant, brilliant man who I work for, I mean, a downright genius. I said, well, you know, should I go to business school? My hands were sweating. And I was like, you know, like I was like experiencing all the somatic symptoms of massive panic attack. And, um, he, and he literally looked at me, he said, business school. He said, don't be silly. He said, can you read? 
And I said, yeah. He said, have you read Shakespeare? And I said, yeah. He said, are you good at math? And I said, yeah, I'm pretty good at math. He said, have you read John Updike? Have you read any Aristotle? Have you read any Supreme Court decisions? I said, not really, but I will. And he said, that's enough. All this other analytical shit we can teach you on the job. And if you can't learn that yourself, then you're worthless anyway. <laughs> and so I'll, and, and I remember that well. But listen, I get your point. And, and those are skills. That, but if those people are going to be in those majors to the exclusion of these incredible experiences like reading Hamlet or like reading a Supreme Court decision and talking about it, then man, screw those majors. I'll take the Supreme Court decision reader and the Shakespeare reader and someone who majored in physics or math any day of the week because I know they'll learn how to operate the TikTok account if they're, cre they're creative. But anyway. I'm telling you, as a lawyer, uh -oh. I am skeptical okay. of anybody who reads Supreme Court decisions for fun. Though uh, that that person is immediately suspect. Yeah, you might be right. Okay, look, I'm not going to lie. I do that sometimes, but like, ah! but it's my birthday week, so you have to treat me with some level of. You oh, gotta, you, know, you could show me some respect. He's got us there. <laughs> yeah, he's got us there. All right, here's what I want to do, Gideon. I, I want to go to break, and I want to do this interview. I want to put on this interview with Jaquel cool. Horton because I want to be able to come back after it's over and get your thoughts on it. Do you mind sticking around for a little bit? Dude, I'm here. I'm here. I got nothing else to do. It's Love it. Very week. cool. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with Jaquel Horton here on Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Happy New Year, and welcome back to Break the Business, all you lovely humans. Thank you for checking us out, wherever you're checking us out, whether it's on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio, whether it's on all major podcast platforms, whether it's on live streaming platforms like Twitch and YouTube Live, wherever you are checking out this program, we are so darn glad that you are. Ryan Corelli here with Gideon King. Let's go right to our interview with Forbes 30 Under 30 entrepreneur and CEO of Fave, Jaquel Horton. 
Our guest this week is a Forbes 30 Under 30 award-winning entrepreneur who is the founder and CEO of Fave, a social platform dedicated to empowering super fans of artists. Fave was named the 2020 Startup of the Year and was selected by Fast Company as one of the most innovative companies of 2022. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting faveforfans.org. We are happy to welcome Jaquel Horton on to Break the Business. Hi, Jaquel. Hello. How are you? I'm doing so, so well. Love anybody who is in the fan engagement business because that's such an important thing for indie artists to invest in. And the fact that you've created a whole platform dedicated to it, chef's kiss. Before we get into fame, Jaquel, I want to talk a little bit about your origin story. I'm always impressed by the folks who come out of the PM world for companies like Google. And you worked as a PM at Google and at YouTube. And I would imagine along the way that experience taught you a lot about the role that technology could play in serving artists. Could you speak to that a little bit? Of course, uh, happy to, and thank you again for, for having me. So yes, uh, I mean, I think everything that I have poured into Fave and, and the company and the dynamic around fandom was because of my learnings, not just as a as a PM, as, as in the role of how to do it, but also what I was driving when I was at YouTube was the creator world, the creator space. I was the one building the tool set that creators used. And so everything I learned about building product, gaining empathy for my users, trusting them over even the higher level execs at the company, right? And what they wanted all was through creators. So to say that they have a, a, a big space in my heart is an understatement. Uh, I, I absolutely love um, independent creators and making them thrive, right? That's everything that, that, that I love to do um, in addition to their fans. So mm -hmm. I, I'd say there's a few things that I learned. One was, uh, and this is squarely within being a product manager, uh, with anything you work on is conviction, <laughs> believing deeply in what you are doing, even if other people think you are crazy and pushing that forward with tunnel vision. And frankly, I, I think a lot of your listeners probably feel the same as artists, right? Thinking that everyone might not understand their sound, understand their, their thinking or even their drive to pursue this career, but they do. And sticking to that is where you find the best success when you just say, yep, I ignored everyone else and just stuck stuck to my guns. I'd say as a founder, as a PM, and as a creator, that's absolutely the most important trait that you would need for sure. Then I would say in the space itself, right, understanding what creators actually wanted and what they actually needed is where I said, huh, so maybe like existing multi-year roadmaps at this fancy company that's not the source of truth. The source of truth is, in fact, the voices of these creators. And so maybe even one quick anecdote, I started a program at the company, I'm trying to remember what year, maybe 2014, like back in the day, called Creator Love. I think it's evolved now into a more formal name, but it was called Creator Love back then, where I would bring in creators into the offices of YouTube to sit down with the engineers so that the creators from their mouths can tell them the asks that they have about the product, the experience of, you know, oh, I want to have my, my videos react like this or the capability to do this, or I want to engage my audience this way. And then hear and gain empathy from these creators was frankly the most effective way that I was able to get any vision like through the company for them to just hear it from these creators. Um, and so I took very much uh, from it, you know, to stick to your guns, uh, the love for connecting with people and, and frankly, 
like users are my boss is like my slogan. The best way to get something done is just talk, talk to these folks, talk to these creators. So yes, learned a ton. That's funny to me that when a lot of these entertainment technology companies, it takes somebody like you to tell these people what should be intuitive, right? Hey, if we're going to build platforms that cater to creators and their fans like YouTube, we should probably get some creators in the room and ask them what they need and how we can make this platform more effective for them. But you're saying this probably isn't happening as much as it should in tech. I, I, I wish it would happen more. And perhaps I perhaps now there's programs and, and people get it and resources are there. But definitely, even now with Fave, in working with fans, right? I, I think I, I provide insight and, and light bulb moments more often than I would hope. <laughs> because I would think that a lot of the stuff that I'm bringing are just like, don't we all recognize the importance of this? Don't we all see this? And I, and I, I wouldn't say so. So for sure, I think more creators need to be literally at the table, uh, if not like transitioning over to, 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 to the space to work in tech, but at the table so that their voices are heard. It's very different than I think a lot of people who are working in tech, in tech think it is because you aren't a creator, you don't know what the process is like. And I will say, uh, one big thing I was an advocate for was that we need to make our tools as seamless and simple and straightforward and valuable as possible because these creators, their job is not to use our tools. Their job is to create, is to make art. And that alone is such a, a meaty process that the least they should be concerned about is like how to upload a video, you know? And so, yeah, <laughs> it needs to be heard much more. That's great. It sounds like you're very experience minded in the work that you do, whether it is yeah. trying to create tech platforms that are, are great user experience, whether it's for the people using the platform or the people putting content on the platform. And certainly through a platform like Fave, you're trying to create a great fan experience and help cultivate super fans. I want to talk to you a little bit about fan engagement. I would submit that there's that at no other point in the history of the entertainment industry has it been more important for artists to directly engage with their fans, directly cultivate super fans. Art, most independent creators are not making big money from their fans, you know, one tiny transaction at a time, one 99 cent record at a time. It's happening through cultivating these super fans, building these deep, uh, you know, multi-year passionate relationships between fan and artist. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit? How has that industry changed in that regard in terms of it becoming more important than ever for artists to really engage their fans? Yeah, I honestly think even the word important is still an understatement. <laughs> it's game changing. It's crucial. It's the difference maker between the livelihood of a lot of artists that survive even independently for a long time, for years, as you said, making a lot of money to sustain their creativity, right? Versus those who don't and then, you know, go the traditional route and fall by the wayside and don't have anyone to fall back on because they, they didn't build their own infrastructure, right? And mm -hmm. so absolutely critical. And for a few reasons. One, I mean, as you pointed out, having the people who are your customers, are your consumers, are the people who are like put taking in what you are giving to them, right? Your art um, and the ability to have a direct line with them is the same setup that every other business has, but 
often creators aren't afforded that right. And when you can do that, that again is such a big difference maker, right? Not only do you have a clearer uh, line to the revenue and less people involved there, right? You also can build authentically with your audience much more effectively than you can when there are so many steps in between or you're not doing it at all, right? And that being able to have people connect to your values, having people connect to the world and your art on a deeper level, even one level deeper than the music itself or the, the art itself is uh, the way to create loyalty, right? I will say in, in all of my research and working with fans and hearing what makes them tick and, and often we ask them, why is it that you're a super fan? What makes you so engaged? It's 100% of the time, not 99, not 20, 100% of the time, it is something about them connecting on another level with the artist. It's not just, oh, I love their music or, or I love their look. It's they brought me through this moment. They, you know, taught me that I belong. They are the only people who have articulated this crazy thing in my mind that I thought I was alone. They said it and now I'm, it's always something more. And the more opportunities you have to share that as a creator through various forms directly with your consumer is the best way to make them last. And so of course, right? Um, not just for the the you know checklist that I think a lot of people describe of why it's important. It's because the core foundation of why anybody would be loyal to anything or any brand or any entity is because they can connect with them and they see something about them in them that they want to see you know represented in someone. Um, and so it's it's crucial to be able to do that, right? For sure. That's really profound. I never thought of it that way. The notion of the way to cultivate a super fan, the way to turn a fan into a super fan is to help that fan reveal something about themselves or to or to make some kind of personal connection within that fan. You know, that artist made me think about the world another way. It taught me something about myself that I didn't even know. You know, it gave me a feeling that somebody else thinks the same way I do about something or yeah. that artist helped me get through a really difficult time in my life. That's the yeah. kind of like super internal core stuff you have to do with your fan to make them a super fan. So now I'm inclined to ask, how does Fave help with that? <laughs> yes, of course. That sounds really that sounds like a nearly impossible task for a creator to accomplish. It's not. It's not impossible at all. And I think that's why you see it. That's why you see these super fans out there. Um, so sure, I'll I'll go into how we do it, but I, I appreciate you pointing out that yes, it's something that's at your core. Cause I see it no other way. And I see that as just again the hundred percent formula. And so that's the route. And so yes, I want more creators to realize that and invest directly in that as the as the direct line to to loyalty. Um, but how we do it at Fave. So um, we, as I shared, went through a number of different research angles to see what it is that fans actually want. And just as I shared in the beginning, I went straight to the source and asked fans, hi, what are you struggling with? What are you frustrated by? What would you want to see more of? And so much of it was not just the cookie cutter answers of, oh, I want to meet my favorite artist or, you know, I want more music releases. It wasn't that. It was, I want to be able to connect with the other people who also have resonated with this artist, or I want to be able to, I don't know, maybe kind of gain something from like all of the hard work that I put in where some of these fans have, a you know, full-time jobs worth of activities that they're doing, or, you know, I want to be able to 
you know, have my own art that I've created inspired by my favorite artists, like see the light of day or have people appreciate it. It was things like this that were these other activities that they were doing because of the artists that they love or because of the creator that they love, that they wanted to be a part of the ecosystem more rather than just some side thing that they were doing, right? So everything was around how their hard work can come to the light of day. So the platform does just that. It allows for these amazing fans and these incredible activities that they're doing to be documented on the platform. They can write, you know, obviously the standard stuff. They're listening, they're viewing their social behavior, sure. But also I have a tattoo of my favorite creator. I, you know, have merch of, of them that is from the first merch drop they ever did or this huge collection that like collects us, but nobody gets to see it. And, and now I have people who appreciate it. Or, you know, I create my own merch and I want to be able to find an audience of people who also appreciate it, right? And this is, this is what it is. So you record all of those things. From there, you earn status, you earn levels, you earn that recognition that a lot of people were seeking, whether it's uh, you know, a verified fan and you get early access to things or a badge that celebrates the fact that you went to multiple shows on the concert leg or that you have been a fan since 2013 or this and that. Again, these very unappreciated moments that, that fans or activities that, that fans have. Um, and you get to celebrate all of those with other people who are just as you know, amazed by by this artist as you are. Um, and it's not just this kind of pool of 2 million followers like you would see on, on other social networks. It's rather, let's connect these fans on these specific points that they have, right? Somebody who's been a, a, around for the past 10 years and is more interested in the era of back in the day of the creator than the one even now, right? And they want to find other people who are listening to the first album still, or people who are fan artists and they're in their room with their notebooks and their, their doodles or these incredible paintings that they're doing. And they want to chat with other people who are also doing this, right? Or collaborate with other event organizers who are about to throw a party, you know, on the artist's birthday and they want to work with them. And so those connection points of for the subgroups, I would say within fandom are where we would specialize and where people come together and meet their best friends. And we hear kind of the, the most beautiful stories there. Um, and then how we enable creators on the other side of this um, is where we've now kind of moved to because we heard we heard we heard the knocking, we hear the questions, right? As as you're asking, and people are so curious about how they can grow their fans, how they can activate their fans, how they can lean into their fans, seeing all this energy and action that they're doing on the platform. And so we allow a few things now for creators. One, insights and understanding and knowledge in a way that isn't just like graphs and data that is difficult to, to like parse, right? But rather you be able to like type a question in natural language and say like, who are my influential fans in Paris, right? Or like, how many of my fans are coming to my show, right? Just like things like this. And we will do the hard work to figure out what influential actually means and which fans are in Paris and show that back to you so that you can message them if you want them to help you to promote, right? Or have them be the ones to like spread the word or offer those who aren't attending the show a discount for the next three days if, to encourage them. Little tools like this that allow fan engagement to go from this kind of mystery world of like, I don't even know where to start or I don't even want to start because how am I going to break this mystique that I have to keep up as, as a creator? 
Uh, but instead, you know, have you lean in with these very turnkey ways to do that? Um, and, and I pulled it in there, but the messaging is actually an important one to call out because on all of these other platforms, you either don't have a way to, to, to reach your fans directly, can, but it gets lost in a feed that goes to only like 2% of the people following you, even though they've subscribed to want yeah. to what you've said. And uh, you get like blocked by DMs and all of this. So we allow you to connect directly with the people who you need to reach based on very specific targeting criteria around what they've done uh, 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 with you uh, as a fan, right? Um, and so it just takes the the work out of it. It takes the mystery out of fandom. You know who your fans are, not just user ID one, two, three. You know that this fan who bought at the merch store is the same one who went to the concert, is the same one who's your top 1% on Spotify, instead of those all seeming like different people, right? Um, and you just have much more clarity. So that's a bit about what we do at Fave. I love the idea of, certainly love the idea of the I, platform that, allows artists to have a direct line to their fans, even gain insights about their fans, which can help them make operational decisions. That's really cool. Yeah. And I love what you spoke about in terms of what Fave does for fans. One of the things that, that kind of caught my eye and made me smile was, I like that your platform celebrates and uh, incentivizes and acknowledges the fans that put in the sweat equity. Oh, on yeah. an artist right like so much of especially when an artist gets really big right we tend to just reward the ones that just pay the most for the concert tickets and kind of arrive late to the party but your platform the way it's designed would seemingly reward the fans who are the day one fans right because mm -hmm. they can they can have badges and, and things that say hey i've been here since you were just playing a small club somewhere and it can reward them with these sort of super fan status for doing things like listening to the artist a lot on spotify or uh, making merch or buying merch or just yeah. you know commenting and being and helping cultivate the community. What a great thing for an artist to know. Oh, that's an artist that you know maybe isn't can't afford like the very expensive VIP tickets at my concert, but they are my day one fans. They were the ones that helped build me up. I want to make sure I know who those people are and give them the acknowledgement they deserve. That's really cool. A hundred percent. And and that was very intentional, right? This was one of the frustrations that we learned from of fans saying, you know, I, I don't live in the country of my favorite artists. And so I can't attend its shows. I can't, or I live in a small town or I don't have the money. That was the kind of fan that I was growing up, right? I was completely obsessed with my favorite artist, but I couldn't afford to go to a con, like sit at front row at a concert. I was just using whiteout to like write stuff on my backpack that was the extent so i couldn't do anything but does it make sense for the artist not to get anything from me no right i want to engage i want to be a part of it and so you know from people not feeling like they could meaningfully contribute or that they could do anything to support their favorite artist if they didn't have the funds or the access to was silly and so we designed the the system and the way you earn and what you could earn intentionally frankly, off of sweat equity. And if you, you know, could afford to do the things great, that, that's fine, but it doesn't outweigh or beat or surpass those who have put in the work as a fan. Well, since you spoke about the challenges that fans have, if say the artist that they love is in another country, but you still want that artist to know how much you care about their art, yeah. you have sort of a similar challenge as a startup CEO 
in that mm-hmm. you're not based in the United States, where I imagine a lot of your activities happen. You live in Switzerland, is my I understanding, yes. um, which sounds amazing as a place to live, but probably comes with a host of challenges of trying to run a successful entertainment company. Can you uh, talk a little bit about some of the unique challenges you have with your own situation? Yeah, I mean, of course, it, it was a debate, as you can imagine, of like, hmm, to start this company squarely in the entertainment space, squarely in the startup world, should I go back to, to Silicon Valley, to the US, or not? And I think for me, I, you know, one uh, was was lucky, I guess, quote unquote, in the sense that when COVID happened, people got much more comfortable to be on video in order to get deals done. And so while I did and do need to shift my time frequently and often take most of my meetings from like a you know midnight to 3 a.m. kind of thing um, with, with the West Coast, I also had the ability to have a meeting with, you know, somebody in Asia, somebody in New York, somebody in Paris, you know, you know, back to back and just like get deals done efficiently based on that. I don't think that that would be possible if it weren't for people's new comfort level um, with video. That That's a real thing. And then I would say the talent that is, is in Europe um, also allowed for a really amazing engineering team and um, design team to come from here while of course i did have to have team based in us to be on the business side and on the artist you know facing side and on the fan facing side because um of the skill sets that that are kind of more coming from there and so of course it's been a dynamic it's been tough the company itself is like an american you know setup company um but i think i've leaned into the areas that uh, made it tough to instead make it a unique way to be a global company. Uh, so I think we, we've we served okay, given this. I'm just sort of imagining whenever you have one of those moments where like the remote work gets a little tough because the time zones are all over the place or you're trying to yeah. get in touch with an investor that's in New York and, and you know they're having questions about you being in Switzerland and, and that's got to be overwhelming. And then you just sort of look out the window <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'm good again. I'm in Switzerland. It's the Alps are there. There yeah, we are. I got the yeah. Alps. All right, we're all good. <laughs> Back to yes, me. yes. No, I, I, I think, um, you know, coming from the U.S. and and having that, uh, I think helped. Um, the the like entity being American also helped. Actually, I, it didn't help. It was the difference maker. But I think it was just the uh, the willingness to still h- hustle and grind at the right time of day to connect with everyone who I still needed to connect with, um, no matter what time zone they were in, right? Um, that that made the difference, right? But yes, of course, I can then leave and go to some peaceful snowy area <laughs> for sure. But um, I think it was just, it, it, w- it wouldn't have been uh, possible, at least at that time, when I was raising funds, I would say to like, just try to nine to five it, it wouldn't have worked, unfortunately. Can you talk yeah. a bit about what the fundraising climate is like right now for startups generally? I would just imagine with higher interest rates with a lot of, uh, you know, economic questions about what maybe next year will look like in terms of a global economy. Yeah. Are you finding that's affecting your fundraising or are your other startup friends kind of talking about it being a, a more challenging climate than it was maybe two or three years ago or pre-pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's like night and day, you know, I think last time I was able to raise 
you know, two million dollars and like gather everything up within like 30 days, which I think at that point was still considered fast. But to me, as a first time founder, I was like, okay, great. That's how it's done. Perfect. Thank you, everyone. Then to get the same amount of money the next round was like almost a year, you know, like several, <laughs> several, several months to put it together on top of it already being hard, you know, in this space for this, you know, domain for somebody who looks like me, you know, it's just hard in general. Um, but especially the economics time, this moment, I think for everyone, we're feeling it. And so, you know, you, you can either take that two ways. You take that as, all right, not for me, too risky, you know, not the best situation and that's valid and fine. Right. Um, that may come with other feelings of like failure and this as a founder, it's really tough to kind of see the situation, see the situation and see it happen so fast, I would say. Um, you kind of attach yourself to what's going on, even though everyone's experiencing the same thing and it's not necessarily because of your company, it's just the environment. Or you can take the route of, I'm going to fight through this and be lean and be focused and do less and do it on a dime and find the most effective way to move the needle toward my goals because I don't have all the time in the world. I don't have the ability to just say, hey, can you guys re-up? It's like, no, you have to stretch yourself to have as many chances as possible to fail and get back up, fail and get back up as you would as in a startup and just keep going. And so because I opted for the second route and said, let me buckle down, you end up getting far more focus, right? Far more like ridding of the fluff, ridding of the things that don't matter and rid of the things that are time suckers that aren't going to move the needle. And so you can imagine that because of that new level of diligence that's forced, you end up with a better company and a better strategy and one that hits squarely on, on where you're going. So blessing in disguise, but of course, very tough, very different environment. Well, certainly a lot of lessons in that for independent creators who themselves are entrepreneurs like 100%. you uh, running their own business. Our guest this week has been Jaquel Horton, the CEO of Fave. You can find out more about her work by visiting faveforfans.org. This seems like a really cool platform for artists to get involved with. Love to uh, help amplify it. Before we let you go, Jaquel, and this has been an absolute pleasure, so please don't be a stranger. Come back real soon. We'd love to have more conversations about what you're doing but let's sure. close with this. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Amazing. Uh, last tips. So I would say it probably goes back to what I started with, right? That conviction, that trust your gut. There's going to be everyone in the world that you are already experiencing telling you that, I don't know if this is the best. Forget it all. Do what it is that you know the world needs to hear from you. And then the second thing is find those people <laughs> ASAP, right? Don't do it in a vacuum. Don't be shy. Don't, you know, just do it in this little piece. And then one day someone's going to discover you and then you're going to, no, keep focused on connecting squarely with the people who are resonating with what you're doing. And if you're finding people, it's not hitting with certain people or they're not, you know, resonating good. It's just a path that's closer to the people that actually would resonate and you get rid of the people who don't. Right. And so take everything with, you know, trust your own gut to have the clarity of where you want to go and then go squarely to the people who are also trying to find that, that tribe. And once you do, you'll be kind of in this euphoric state of ah, I'm, I'm, I'm with the people who know me and, and love me. And I think it's amazing that creators get to immerse in that. Oh, this conversation absolutely rocked. Jaquel, thank Yay. you so much for joining us this week. Of course.
Our thanks to Jaquel Horton for joining us there. You can find out more about her work by visiting faveforfans.org. Ryan Carella here back with Gideon King. Gideon, thanks for sticking around for that interview. That was, uh, it was really awesome speaking to her about that because of the time difference between, uh, New York or New York, Miami time when we record this show and Switzerland time, she couldn't appear with us live, but we did get it, uh, in there beforehand. Uh, what, uh, was most provoking for you about that interview? Um, very quickly. Um, one, <clears throat> this is a smart woman. Um, she has this incredible, she has a hallmark of really smart people. She's honed in on a few basic principles and she's sticking to her guns on those principles. Um, she's, she's, she really, she really talked to the customer and she understood that this community based thing, um, is powerful that fans want to know other fans, a, and B, maybe I have this reversed, really A, that fans want to know the artist better, not just their songs, but they want to get a few layers deep into their skin. And then B, that these fans want to know other fans. And that really is the next logical progression in these types of platforms. And she's right in on that, very focused on that. And um, she just, to be honest, she just sort of reeks of competence and focus. Um, and uh, she's cool. She's undeniably cool. And it, it's a neat platform. I was actually researching Fave uh, a lot in preparation for this interview. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is how seriously Fave takes this verification component, right? Yeah, because yeah. there are points that you collect by doing things that show your fandom, whether it's streaming an artist's music or going to their concert or getting a tattoo of that artist, right? You get points for that. And once you reach a certain uh threshold where you can get badges on fave fave actually manually verifies nah. all of your fandom activities right they'll actually make sure that that tattoo is authentic yeah. because they know how important that verification status is oh, that's cool. what it means to that community what it means to that platform what it means to that artist and so they're i mean i'd be interested to see what the cost structure would be for something like that. Does he, do they have to hire like an army of people to, yeah, you know, I don't know, verify tattoos. I don't know, yeah, but, yeah, but it's, yeah. it's an important part of the platform. And, so and, I can see why they put she, their money into it. And she also had another feature of, of, of a successful person, which is she was also practical. She's saying like, let's not make it, make it hard for artists to use these platforms. Let's make these musically and procedurally ergonomic. Let's make these things, you know, easy to use for artists to upload and download. And she's saying, like, let's, let's, let, you know, we're not just up here in the clouds philosophizing about all this. We're also going to make a tool, and that tool's going to be hopefully pretty darn easy to use, just like your, you know, your dashboard's near your steering wheel, and your steering wheel's near your, you know, you, you know what I'm saying. It's musically ergonomic, and so, uh, man, I, I just thought she was very cool and very smart. I'm not sure what else to, what else to say. It is such an important lesson for entertainment tech platforms out there to realize there is a lot of money to be made if your platform has a stupidly easy yeah, user totally. experience for it's the creators, totally true. right? Because yeah. a lot of what you have to do as a creator in the entertainment business on tech platforms is really hard. Like when you think about putting a album out onto Spotify. There's a lot of steps there and there's a lot of legal complexities about totally. licensing and rights management and dividing uh, royalties. It's a big pain in the butt. If you can create a platform like a distro kid 
that makes that stuff really easy, yeah. you can make a lot of money. I look at this platform that we use to put on Break the Business every week, StreamYard, right? To put on a television show each week that has guests from different parts of the world, that brings in videos, that allows us to, to share yeah, all this content and great. stream it to multiple platforms simultaneously. Yep. On the surface, that seems impossible. StreamYard has made it fantastically easy for us. And as a result, they have grown so much as an organization. This is not a sponsorship. I just really love StreamYard. And I know uh, producer Lauren and Gideon does as well. Um, but if you can make great platforms like that, it yeah. makes all the difference. So, I mean, Jaquel is absolutely right in her yeah. perspective there. I'm, yeah. I'm curious, Gideon, about, and I know we're going a little bit over time, but I got to get your perspective on this. Mm -hmm. Um, what I also thought was great about her platform is it, to me, it signals a shift in the kind of platforms that the kind of tech platforms that I think are going to become more prevalent in the entertainment industry, where it's less about content, right? There's a lot of entertainment tech platforms that are content centered, Spotify, mm -hmm. you know, a distro kid, right? It's all about the content. This is artist centered, creator centered yeah. and fan centered. And I think that's the future of entertainment tech. I'm just curious yeah, about well, your you know, thoughts on that. And um, are you seeing is, any investment opportunities in your own world that kind of cater to that marketplace? Yeah, you know, this is like back to the future or, you know, it's because the experience of listening to music and sort of falling in love with an artist has been lost in this extraordinary mechanization, if you will, this mechanical um, output of music from Spotify and so on. And you and I have obviously, um, you know, we're, 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 we remember the times when people went and bought records and then you looked at the artwork and then you saw the handwriting of the artist and you saw the musicians on it. And there was this immersion, not just into the music. Sometimes you looked at the record cover for like hours and read, read their writing on it before you even listened to the, to the record. And so if you really think about this, What's actually happening is we're going back 40 years or 30 years where, where, where fans want to relate to the artist, um, and, and, and need a way to do it. And that, that pipe, that modality for relating to the artist has strangely with all of this incredible technology kind of been you know, it's kind of lost, it's kind of gone by the wayside. And so, yes, these platforms, in fact, I just invested in a platform and man, you should have this guy on the show. I won't say the name of it, but it's all about fans being able to talk with other fans and, and search other artists that are related to their artists and getting to know their artists much more closely. So there's no doubt it's back to the future. Um, and that, and that fans are starving. They don't want to just see Adele in a four second clip on Instagram, you know, um, smiling, they want to know more and they want to jump into Adele more. And these new platforms, including what Jaquel is, is trying to, to constitute are, that's what they're doing, man. They're going back into the seventies and the eighties, actually only they're doing it with modern tools. I, and I could not be happier about it. What a pleasant development. Yeah, Our cool. thanks to Gideon King, producer Lauren and Jaquel Horton for joining us this week. It's been an absolute pleasure. We wish you a happy and prosperous 2024. Thank you all for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.